From the PSIA ASI Safer at Home Studios in Nederland, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and what a guest we have for you today. Julian Carr is joining us, and Julian, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on First Chair. Thank you. My pleasure to be on. Julian, I have watched a ton of your videos, and they're amazing. Um, And it's funny, because I'm really blown away by the mental side of what you do, and when we were talking uh, a little while ago with Spot, um, I asked you kind of a half-serious question about whether or not having insurance actually made you feel like you could take some more risk. And I loved your answer because you said you are so prepared when you go for big air that you know what's going to happen. How do you do that? <laughs> so, obviously, that's you know a long long-winded answer but it's uh it's kind of a lifetime of like these strange things that have all connected the dots to lead me to have this obviously very um odd skill set and you know it started with when i was a kid um i did a lot of gymnastics classes and i loved uh foam pits and I hardly ever would actually stick to learning a routine because I was just so, um, you know, always wanted to go play in a foam pit. And so um, I'd even climb in the rafters and drop, you know, 40, 50 feet as like, you know, this nine-year-old kid into the foam pit. And I just like innately understood how to relax and how to hit the foam in a way that I knew I wouldn't feel a thing. I just knew it. And um, it's funny cause I didn't start skiing until eighth grade and, you know, pretty quickly once I realized how soft powder is, especially living in Salt Lake city. So I was skiing up in the Cottonwood canyons, um, I immediately was like, Oh wow. Like powder, deep powder is like pretty much the same as a gymnastics foam pit. <laughs> and so <laughs> that strange, like, you know, analogy an association led me down that path of just really being uh, ambitious to find jumps and to try to figure out how to hit cliffs. And obviously, living in Utah, um, we're privy to the rare occurrence of really deep powder that you can do that. So, you know, ninth, tenth grade, I was lucky enough to have winters that it snowed a lot, and I started hitting you know five foot cliffs and have some good cartwheels and some you know ragdolls and slowly start figuring out you know how powder was and how the layers work and when it's deep enough and um, obviously just skiing too because there's so much uh, mileage you put on your skis to get around and it's just a whole new sport but that fascination with deep snow and about a gymnastics pit is kind of where that all started and obviously it's school of hard knocks um, going from trying your first five foot cliff in a pow to you know where I am now where I'm comfortable with 200 foot cliffs it's you know obviously a pretty wild journey um, to get to that comfort level but um, it's been I would say I did have like a aha moment um, 
was kind of, you know, hitting 30 foot cliffs regularly. And maybe the biggest one I'd ever done was 40, 50. And I remember watching some of the old TGR videos of like Jamie Pierre and time Jeff Holden and Rob Holmes, all those guys were like hitting 100 foot cliffs. And Jamie Pierre in particular was doing it quite often. And so, um, obviously, I was like, how have these guys figured this out? Like, if they can figure it out, I can figure it out. But obviously, I, you know, anyone that skis, they know how it feels when you get on the edge anywhere near a cliff that's over 50, 60 feet. It is, I mean, really intense. You want to get out of there because you can feel your mortality, you know. And so it was just really hard to figure out how to go bigger than 50 feet safely. And um, I think my aha moment was I was so used to hitting 30, 40 foot cliffs and, you know, being really composed and comfortable in the air for, you know, a second and a half, maybe two seconds for maybe 50 footer. And finally it struck me. I was like, you know what? All it's going to take is like point five seconds of more composure in the air and with how fast i'll be dropping in the air that's going to equal another 30 or 40 feet so if i can just be relaxed and maintain my composure for 0.5 more seconds it's not going to feel any different like it's going to be the exact same and obviously you know applying that is a different story so the very next winter um i encountered and went and studied and uh, really wrapped my head around this 80 foot cliff and so it was time it was a bit it was a beautiful pow day really deep snow and i've been skiing every day um all winter long up to that point and i knew what the snow conditions were i knew what the snow layers felt like and it just snowed you know one of those kind of three day storms where it snows over 50 or 60 inches on top of a 100 foot base so there's no question in my mind that um it was good to go just like how i was confident about 40 30 foot cliffs i was 100 percent sure this 80 foot cliff was good to go <clears throat> landing wise so when I got up on the top and it was time to apply my 0.5 seconds of uh, my aha moment, that was a whole new story because it was terrifying. <laughs> Everything in my body just wanted to get out of there. And it was like, next time, next time. And I finally just told myself, I was like, you know what? It's never not going to be scary. And if you do want to do this and you are as fascinated as you are and you're attracted to big cliffs, there's not going to be a time that it's going to feel like not as scary. That's just the deal with this. You ha It's super scary. You need to think through it, and you need to find that composure, and your heart rate needs to decrease. And uh, luckily, I mean, not luckily, I was able to do that. I just focused and meditated and was able to calm my heart rate and really think objectively about what I was about to do. And uh, I was able to pull it off. Um, I nailed it, and sure enough, it felt, I mean, I would say softer than any 50-foot wow. cliff I'd ever hit because I was supremely composed on this one because I knew the stakes were higher. And I 
didn't even feel the landing. It was like softer than any 15 foot cliff I'd ever hit. And so I was laughing because I was like, oh my goodness, there is no ceiling. You can go as big as you want. And so the next winter, I happened to get, you know, a 200 footer in Switzerland. I hit, you know, 150, 170 footer, 160 footer um, in Utah. Then I hit that contest at Snowbird that was like 140 footer during a contest. So the very next winter where I was like, there is no limit. Um, I took down, you know, seven or eight cliffs over the height of a hundred feet. And, you know, ever since then, over the last decade, I've been fortunate enough that I've encountered conditions that have allowed me to put myself in that position. Um, and obviously it's a big mind chess game that you have to execute prior to the physical part. Um, I enjoy that part too. So, you know, it's been uh, really fun because each year I've been able to get, you know, at least one cliff that is over 80 feet. Um, and, man, it's just been a, a, a wild journey, but I love it. And I have the right intent, and I think that's why Mother Nature let me in on her secret because uh, I just love it. Well, Julian, I see a pattern with you. You started skiing in eighth grade, and you started jumping uh, in ninth. And then you did an 80-foot cliff, and the next year you went for 200. So you do like to take it big once you get that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's baby steps. Um, yeah, I started with that five-foot cliff in eighth grade or ninth grade, and once I you know, tried that enough, I tried a 10-foot cliff until I was comfortable. And then obviously I got up to that 50-foot range and then got comfortable with that 80-foot cliff and that comfort zone has just grown. Um, but you have to put the same amount of focus into a 30 foot cliff as you do for like a 100 foot cliff, because the consequences can still be very substantial on a 30 foot cliff. Cause that's still, you know, pretty dang big. So I think that's the fun part about cliffs and skiing in general is that, um, you really got to concentrate and really, um, you know, it's such a fast-moving, high-consequence sport that also makes the impossible possible. But any mistake you can make can be obviously so significant, especially when you're talking about big cliffs. So I just value life. I value my health, and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize that. So it's been an interesting you know, protocol that I've built to feel 100% about these cliffs because... You know, like I said, I, I love life and I love being healthy. And so it's a, uh, it, you know, really, uh, you know, it's a, it's such a magical experience. And like I said, it gets me to a meditative state and remain calm and visualize and um, get to know the snow. And, you know, I develop a relationship with the mountain and it's just this magical slowed down mental experience that uh, is hard to describe. I've just seen like, you know, interviews of monks where they talk about where they can take their mind uh, just by like meditating. And I'm like, wow, I actually know that space. And although they can do it just sitting there, that's kind of the process I take myself through to get really, really present 
uh, to hit these cliffs so that I feel like I'm a part of nature and I'm not there to dominate it. I'm not there to, you know, slam a Mountain Dew and slam it, you know, rip into a Slim Jim and just sack up. It's a very mental, very shared uh, experience with nature and uh, it's, it's very profound and I love that mental part of it as well as obviously the physical because once you reach that 100% status and you, you are present and you are meditating and you know you're going to be okay, it's highly enjoyable obviously the physical part of it afterwards. So speaking of that, how do you prepare for your approach? Your le- I mean, you've got to hit that just right, I would assume, when you're going off the edge of the cliff. Yeah, so, you know, if I'm out skiing in an area and I'll, like, look across the valley and I see a cliff that's just beautiful, um, right away I'm already looking at how steep is the landing? Is it an avalanche hazard by when I land? Um, is the cliff sheer? Uh, what's above the cliff? Can you get off the cliff? Um, so then if all those things look like they're reasonable from afar, then I'll go cruise over to the cliff and, um, get into the landing and actually start probing, you know, a giant area, probably a hundred by a hundred feet. And, um, then I'll get to the side of the cliff and study how sheer it is. And then I'll go back up to the top and start studying the takeoff um, to see if there's any complications or rocks or trees um, or just anything that could not enable me to get off the cliff cleanly and safely to the landing I just studied by, you know, the trajectory and the sheerness of the cliff I just looked at too. So, you know, and then the last step is obviously me (laughs) and how how I feel and how the universe feels at that moment. So once all three of those things come together for me, that's usually when I'm able to get into that mind space and see how I'm feeling um, and how the universe is feeling with me at that moment. Um, But it's a pretty intense process, obviously, to go study a landing uh, to the point where you're basically making a decision about your life. If you're going to be a hundred percent okay to land in this or not. And for me, it's a 100% uh, walk away every time. And so to go down and study a landing in a cliff I'm interested in, it takes everything I got to go make that kind of assessment, you know? So, you know, a lot of people can say, oh, yeah, I checked the landing. And it's like, I, I really <laughs> check the landing because <laughs> it's a matter of uh, my mortality. So, you know, I can say that pretty passingly, but actually go do it it's a really intense study uh that i'll spend hours if not days or weeks or i've even gone in the summer and studied landing zones just to feel myself in that area to put myself in that high high alpine area and just try to get mileage and and that kind of fluency of being in that area exists you know spiritually and uh, at the electromagnetic level in that area so I can start to get to know the mountains in that in that zone so that I can start to, you know, slow things down and have that magical experience I love to do. And you seem like such a unique person because this seems like it would be such an intense adrenaline rush, but you seem like you're really doing it to find the peaceful medita- meditative state. 
Absolutely. I think there's a lot of artistry in it, and it's half meditation, half mental for me, uh, besides, like I said, the obvious physical parts. But it's a very intense, meditative, mental uh, thing, and really calming. And uh, it's a really interesting experience, because obviously I love skiing in general, and everyone can be present when they ski. And I love that about skiing, but obviously cliffs, it's a whole different uh, level of that kind of uh, mental calmness and and uh, it's 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 yeah it's very profound I, I love it and I want to ask you I mean there are so many variables that happen when you're in the air I mean I think of descending a mountain pass fast on a bike I absolutely love it but it'll pop in my head I really hope a bunny doesn't run out or a chipmunk or a squirrel or I hope there's not a, a fallen rock you know the last time that I went up that I, I don't know about or a gust of wind and I, I was thinking about you in the air uh, if the wind did shift I mean there are so many little things that could happen how do you stay on top of it well it's part of that you know whether it's an hour or two hours or a week or a year studying that cliff, uh, I, I, I'm a part of my environment at that point. And typically when I hit these cliffs, I have quite a bit of speed. So, you know, when I am executing a big swan dive, I'm slicing through the air and my skis are too. So it's not like when you do a straight air, when your skis are kind of open to the wind, and it's not at the mercy of a backflip, so you're kind of at the mercy of how you set your backflip. Um, and with the front flip, you're literally swan diving, and your skis are bent with you, so they're slicing through the air with you. So you're not putting yourself subject to wind uh, dictating the control of how you're executing your flip. Because um, I won't do anything but a front flip off cliffs bigger than um, 80 feet because you can get the wind to grab a hold of uh, your skis. And like I said, with the backflip, you're at the mercy of how you set it. So with the front flip, you're swan diving, you're looking at your landing the entire time, you're slicing through the air, and you can tuck your head and you know finish the follow-through of your flip when you want to. You're not at the mercy of how you set it. You lead with the hips, and you're looking at what you're doing, and you're not going to get blasted by any wind because you're slicing through it interesting and what was it like for you uh the first time you were approached by warren miller films you've been in seven i believe yeah um just so grateful and flattering um and it's just really i'm proud of it and obviously like i said grateful um and obviously i've worked hard and i'm very proud of my professionalism and I enjoy the, um, all the aspects of being a professional skier and you know, being able to be a part of that kind of production crew um, is amazing because they're a bunch of professionals as well. And when you get to see behind the scenes of how they make their movie, of obviously me loving to watch their movies ever since I started skiing, it's just incredible to be on the other end of it and now to be the guy signing the posters for kids that I used to be the kid wanting on poster by Scott Schmidt, you know? So it's uh, just magical to be part of that whole scene and um, just so grateful for it. 
And let's talk about you as a professional, professional skier. You're also a professional speaker. And uh, you've started a mountain running series going into its fourth year. Yeah. So it's, uh, I just love being in the mountains and I feel like from all that time I've spent in the mountains, it's really enabled me to feel comfortable traveling around in the high pine. And in the summertime, I love mountain running. I got this amazing dog. Uh, six seven years ago named Lexi and I stopped mountain biking and just started hiking with her a lot and from that uh, I just got really into hiking peaks around the Wasatch Front here like Granger Peak and Mount Olympus and Pfeifferhorn and Superior and all the rest of them and it's just these really steep you know maybe five seven miles with two to four thousand birds so it just really whoops your butt I was gonna get in great shape and then I looked into the or my friend's wife actually invited me to go on some trail run race in Moab. And she's like, I see you're always trail running. And I'm like, she's like, I signed you up for a race in Moab. We're going to go down to camp and do the race. I'm like, well, is there any vert? She's like, no, not really. It's Moab. I'm like, I'm probably like not too interested because <laughs> I'm not really a runner. Like I'm more of a peak hiker, you know? And, Anyway, she's like, whatever, I already signed you up. Just come down to camp, and you can not do it if you don't want to, but we're just going to do it. It's going to be fun. So I was like, all right, screw it. I'll do it. And I went and did it, and I got second. I was pretty psyched. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I have, like, a summer uh, kind of com- competition thing I could look into. I'm like, I wonder how many races there are around here each summer that are, like, the equivalent of hiking Mount Olympus. And once I looked into that contest scene, I was just shocked that there was nothing. There's all the ultras, um, which are obviously amazing. And there's the speed goats, which are obviously super cool. There's the mud runs, the Spartans, the color runs, the relay races. And there's the marathons and the 10Ks. And I was like, where is the seven-mile race with 3,000 vert? It's just like hiking Mount Olympus. Like, where's that race? I couldn't believe that there wasn't one, not even in Utah, but anywhere. Like, the shortest race I could find was, like, you know, a 16-mile deal with, like, 4,000 vert. I couldn't find anything, like, under 10 miles, and I was just shocked. So I was like, man, like, there needs to be a race series that is goes up to cool peaks and back down that is hard, but it only lasts a few hours, and... Uh, just like how I love hiking all these peaks now. So that was like my inspiration. Um, and yeah, a couple of years later, I started the series and we're in our fifth year now. And we're selling out of races. We have them in Alaska, uh, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, Idaho. Um, and it's a really fun project. And it keeps me hiking. It keeps me mentally engaged. And, you know, obviously as an athlete, you have a um, shelf life. So it's fun for me to be developing something that makes sense financially uh, that I can still be in the outdoors and monetize. Uh, And the two just lend to each other for now, so it's really fun to have both going. Um, And I have Discrete, my cool little beanie brand going too, and that's just a stable little beanie brand. And so it's fun to just, you know, mentally engage as much as I can off the slopes and uh, when it's the wintertime, really focus on 
uh, being a great professional uh, athlete and try to be you know a good storyteller for the brands I represent and then obviously stay up on my emails and steer all the ships I need to to keep the businesses uh, in the right direction and then in the summertime I'm really hands-on and race director for the Cirque Series so uh, I guess at the end of the day it's all about staying in the mountains and you know being a part of that mountain culture so that's what Discrete's a part of and that's what Cirque Series is about uh, whether it's mental or physical uh, obviously it's creative but um, it's really fun to have three different kind of careers going that um, revolve around the mountain. Well, Julian, in conclusion, I'm just wondering, as instructors, we're working with people who are really de- dealing with a lot of fear, and a lot of times we're feeling fear, depending on a run we might be getting ready to do or going into an exam. What are some thoughts you have on how we can reach that calm and peaceful state? Well, I would just say that, you know, when you're in the mountains, things can, can get intense, and when you're progressing as an athlete and as a skier, um, things can get scary and that's okay. Uh, I think it's just about separating is the fear based on that your skills aren't adequate or is it just because it's scary or, um, do you have like a vision that exceeds your ability level? Cause I think that gets a lot of people in trouble when they, can see something they want to do or ski um, and it makes sense in their head but they have to come down to reality and um, you know be critical does your skill set match your vision so I think that's uh, one way to really manage fear is to you know realize that you're scared and is it because it's scary but you have the skill set or is it scary because you have this vision but your skill set you know doesn't align with that vision um, so I think that's just it. It's okay to be scared. Just take a step back and take a deep dive on that fear and, and try to realize where it's coming from. Cause certainly there's times you need to definitely, um, respect it and, you know, pivot and make a different plan. Or there's times that you need to focus through it and realize it's scary, but you absolutely have the, the skill and the talent and, and you should execute. So I think it's just trying to go one layer deeper than, the obvious surface level of fear that we all feel. Julian Carr, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this evening on First Chair. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone on the mountain this next winter. From the PSI ASI Safer at Home Studios in Nederland, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.